0: This morning we're reading from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, still in chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about three thousand persons were added. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to be to God. I want to return to verse 36 and look at that for a moment as we begin this morning. Peter says to those who are listening, therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. I want us to think about that very carefully this morning. Who crucified Jesus? If you were with us last week, you'll remember I talked about that even though Peter's preaching to a large crowd, that some of them would not even know the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Not all of them would know who he was or what had happened to him. And yet today, later in that same sermon or that same speech, again, He makes this broad accusation that the whole house of Israel is part of the crucifixion. But I think it's important for us to think about this. Because as you read the rest of the story, what we realize is that really maybe it's Only the leadership of the temple, which is kind of a religious slash political entity that have anything at all to do with this crucifixion. And in fact, it's not even the Jews that carry out the crucifixion. It is the Roman military authority that carried out the crucifixion, not the Jews. Now, some of the leadership of the temple and again, sort of a political religious group are working in concert with pontius pilate and the romans but still it is the romans who have the authority and the power to do crucifixion and why i want us to be so careful about this is because so often passages like this out of the christian scriptures have been used to call jews derogatory names which often have led to a different kind of treatment by governmental or authorities in all kinds of places through European and American history, where first derogatory names have led to discrimination and sometimes arrest, imprisonment, loss of businesses and loss of life. Certainly the worst of that, we think, was during the Holocaust with the Nazis, but that's not the only place where Jews have been discriminated against and arrested and lost businesses and lost life. So we would need to be sure when we're talking about scripture that we're not adding to the trouble and the tribulation and the tragedy that Jews have experienced throughout the ages. But there's also a second thing here I want us to talk about. It's easy to miss. This thing has to do with Peter. I think Peter is describing his own experience here. Now, he's speaking as if he's just telling others. But if we think about what his life has been like, I think we can see how he's a part of all the things he's talking about and accusing the crowd of. He's the one. Who's jesus right-hand man and then when it comes down to it denies even knowing him deserts him in his hour Of greatest need if you will when it gets dangerous peter's the one who says I don't know him And then as soon as he can he slips away and hides He leaves the scene of the crime so to speak We find out later that he and the other 12 the other 11 at that point disciples are in hiding while Jesus is being arrested and tried and turned over to the Romans to beat him and whip him and finally hang him on a cross until he dies. I think Peter is feeling the depth of this experience when he's talking to these other Jews. So as we hear Peter indict those Jews who are culpable here, he knows that he is in that group of people. Now it may be because he's had such a failure of faith, if you will, and then experienced the redeeming love of God through Christ that he can speak with such conviction when he's preaching to these other Jews. So when it says they are cut to the heart, I think Peter knows what they're feeling because he's already lived through it. He too was a Jew who has not been apart of standing up for jesus or protecting jesus or speaking on his behalf but just like the others he has not been there he was absent maybe he was not in the crowd as maybe a few of these were yelling that christ be christ be crucified or jesus to be crucified and nonetheless i think he knows what it means to feel like he has failed peter knows this road of feeling cut to the heart, but he's also been further down the road and experienced the redemption that comes with the love of God. So when in the passage says, these who are listening said they were cut to the heart, they, and then they say, so what should we do? And at that point, Peter perhaps is uniquely positioned to talk to them about how to respond at that point. It's in verse 38 of what we read. After they asked, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That one verse is a paradigm of Christian conversion or a framework or a summary of what it means to respond to the message of God's love being revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Peter outlines three steps there. I want us to look at them briefly. Step one is repent. Repent means to turn toward God, to turn away from things that are not of God, to begin to try to see the world from God's perspective, and allow God to transform you from one who thinks only of oneself. The one who sees the whole world as something that God's created, that sees other human beings as part of one's family. So it's to turn toward God, but turn away from those other things that are not of God. It's to begin to think of the most vulnerable when we're making decisions and how to help them rather than take advantage of them or ignore them. It's to be able to put oneself aside when deciding what's best and think of the common good so step one is repent step two be baptized in the name of jesus christ now here peter is talking about a water baptism it's a symbol of cleansing it'd been part of the jewish faith before but Christians adopt it as a sign of one taking a step toward God a sign of this repentance and the water is a symbol is using to signify a cleansing and this cleansing is tied to forgiveness in that God forgives us of our sins or our past misdeeds But, of course, the water also is a symbol that this is God's grace offered to us without price. That God's love is being poured out upon us and refreshes us and renews us as water does for our bodies. God's grace can do for our souls. So, step two, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. There was a pastor sitting with a group of children one day and he asked this, what does forgiveness feel like? The kid sat there for a while with blank faces and then finally one youngster's eyes began to get big and he began to smile and all of a sudden his hand is up and waving and says, I know, I know. And the pastor calls on him and says, what? He says, it feels like it is your birthday. It feels like you get to start again new. You get to start again new. It's a great answer. I think it's the experience that Peter has had, and he's offering to these other Jews who are listening, he's offering them this idea that even if they are a part of those who are culpable for the crucifixion of jesus that there's a road to redemption even if you've been a part of that group even if you've failed you feel like at the very core of your calling there's still a chance to start anew so peter says repent or turn toward god and then number two that second part he says be baptized in the name every one of you in the name of jesus christ so that your sins may be forgiven And then there's that third part, step three, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in different places in Scripture, that's described in very different ways, a variety of descriptions. And in fact, if you would go church to church or Christian to Christian and ask them what it means to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you might get all kinds of different kind of descriptions of what that is all about. As United Methodists, we would say that the main gift is God's presence with us, that God is filling us with God's love and transforming our hearts, our character evermore into what God intends, evermore into the image of Christ. Now, some would describe, and you can find these stories in the Bible, some kind of ecstatic experience that comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit, sometimes described as speaking in unknown tongues, or making these vocalizations, these sounds that are not a language any of us know. So those are in Scripture, but those would not be the main thing. As United Methodists, we would say we're talking about, when we're talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we would say the larger theme, I put this in your outline, is being filled with the Holy Spirit is evidenced by being filled with, completely with nothing else but the love of God and the love of neighbor." John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, an Anglican priest, a theologian, a professor, talks about this. How God's love is at work in our lives before we know it. And then finally we recognize it. Then he says this being filled with the Holy Spirit is something he calls sanctification or being sanctified. Or being made more mature in love. Or sometimes he says, as it says in Scripture, being made perfect in love. That God is at work in us. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is filling our hearts with love of God and love of our neighbor. And so the evidence of our life should be fruit of seeing this. We should be able to see it in a person's life, not just once in an ecstatic experience or even once at a baptism, but it becomes a lifelong practice of ours to open ourselves to God's love and then look for opportunities that God shows us to love God others then peter moves to a different word and begins to talk about this as a promise after these three steps of repentance baptism and forgiveness and receiving this gift of the holy spirit he begins to talk about what it means to receive a promise and he's saying it's not only for those who are there physically with him but it's a much bigger promise did you hear that it's in verse 39 for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. So Peter is moved from at first addressing the house of Israel to now saying this promise is for all, is for everyone whom God is calling. I would say for all of God's children. This is a promise made available to the whole world. This is a much bigger, more inclusive, broader statement than often Christians realize in terms of God's love coming into the world. Moving from only speaking to the house of Israel, Peter says this promise from God is not only for you, but for your children and for all and for everyone. And what he started with in this section was declaring that Jesus had been made Lord and Messiah. Those two tie together. Peter is saying that Jesus is the Lord of life or the Lord of all in one part. See, if Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one, the Christ or the Messiah, the one that God has made Lord of all, then that's an inclusive proclamation of god's love that's being revealed through christ the jews have been god's special chosen people to show what a covenant community with god looks like but through christ we believe that's been expanded that's been broadened that's been opened up to the whole world we get a glimpse of it in the very last verse we read today in terms of how this opens up for more people to come let me read that last verse, verse 41, for you. So, those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we touched on the beginning of this speech, and there were only 120 gathered. So, we go in this one day from 120 to 3,000 It's a great shift in terms of how open this movement is and how many people are responding. It would be exciting to see that, would it not? I mean, I've been reading to you these last few weeks names of people who are coming to our church. I get excited if there's three or four or six, if we get 12, oh my gosh. But can you imagine 3,000 people coming into our church, streaming down the aisles? It would be overwhelming. Would certainly be a work of god in our midst that's what these people are experiencing from a small group now to a group that's greatly expanded based on peter's proclamation that god's love in christ is for all is for everyone now this is god's promise and god's invitation but peter reiterates week after week as we read through his preaching So we read these stories about how God is working in his life is that we are witnesses. Oh, Peter's a witness and the other disciples are witnesses and these early followers are witnesses. But it's clear that we too, the descendants of those people of faith, are called to be witnesses. So as I put it in the sermon title, it is God's promise, but once we devote ourselves to it, then we can see that the gift of the holy spirit is working through our lives so we receive the gift of the holy spirit not only for our own personal edification and salvation but so that we can be empowered and gifted to be witnesses to what god is doing for all for everyone as peter says now once We have that experience, and we move into the fellowship of the church. What I've noticed is it's really easy for us to forget those who are still outside. We enjoy the fellowship so much once we are here. Sometimes we think it's all about what we are doing here. But there are others that still need to hear the message, just like there were in Peter's day. They need a fresh invitation, just like Peter's extending to these Jews who are cut to the heart. I'm wondering if you know someone that needs a fresh invitation to be invited back into the church to be those who are ready, perhaps to hear this good news and repent and be baptized and receive forgiveness and then be empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit to live a fresh life bathed in the love of God. And it's not always even that difficult of finding someone who's never heard of the faith. So often people I talk to during the week are people who've registered their attendance. Other people on the staff make calls and send emails and we have these conversations. And for so many of these folks that are registering their attendance... They've already had the experience of the repentance and the baptism and received the forgiveness and acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior. They're living a Christian life, but they have lost connection with a local church. They've lost connection with a vital community of faith. And through the power of technology, we're able to reconnect them with this community of faith so that they can, in a sense, as Peter says, welcome the message of Christ anew. Maybe you know someone that needs that fresh invitation. Not that they have never confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, but they're not connected right now in a vital way with a local church community. Your invitation could open that door. What a privilege it is to help someone come into the fellowship of believers to come and be a part of the body of Christ. We know it will change their lives because it will nurture and nourish their souls. We all need to be a part of an active and lively, spirit-filled, if you will, body of Christ. And we can be that for so many. There's a show I've been watching on television. I've had a more, little more time to watch shows now that we don't have meetings here at night at the church. I'm home every evening. It's refreshing in that way. One of the shows my wife and I have been watching is called For Life. It's on one of the major networks. It's based on a true story. It's a story about a fellow who was unjustly arrested, accused, tried, and found guilty and put in prison for something that some other people had done. While he's in prison, he decides he's going to learn more about the law and the justice system because they have done him wrong. And he begins to study books of law and finally gets to the point where he even takes the bar exam and passes and he becomes a lawyer. He's trying to get his own case overturned. But in the process, he begins to help other inmates who have also had similar experience with law enforcement and the justice system. Well, he begins to have special permission to leave the prison, to go to court, to represent these different people. He wins some cases, he loses some cases. But throughout it all, it begins to show you how easily a person who is confined begins to lose contact with their friends and family. They increasingly become isolated. And you can see how easy it is for once they are isolated to lose hope that there's any kind of positive future for them. Well, I begin to think about us and this COVID 19 and how we're sequestered and all these safer at home and stay at home kind of orders and realize that perhaps all of us have had just a little hint or taste or glimpse of what it feels like to lose one's freedom of movement. And how easily on the heels of that, we experience anxiety and depression. And some of us even begin to lose hope. During this time of pandemic, during this time of restrictions, we know that people are having different kinds of emotional reactions. And from week to week, maybe in the same person, it feels differently but we want to be a place that offers them hope. So I've put at the end of your outline three statements here. Let's be those who devote ourselves to being witness to the promises of God, to be those who offer hope. Then I'm suggesting to you, identify to whom you can offer a fresh invitation. Sometimes we realize people close to us, People in our sphere of influence need a fresh invitation. We think, oh, the church is here. They can come. But it's become so very clear to me that sometimes they need a fresh or a new invitation so that they can welcome the message of Christ anew into their lives. You could identify someone you know, perhaps, and offer them an invitation during these days of the pandemic. And finally i want you to remember friends receive the gift of the holy spirit god is here for you the power and the presence the guidance the healing of the lord is here for you through jesus christ receive the gift of the holy spirit amen and thanks be to god